0: Leviticus 23. If you're there, say amen. Amen. The Lord said to Moses, give the following instructions. Actually, let's read it from the English Standard Version. Uh, The Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to the people of Israel and say to them, these are the appointed feasts of the Lord that you shall proclaim as holy convocations. Everybody say that with me. Holy convocations. They are my appointed feasts. Now, let's flip over to the book of Luke. Chapter 5, verse 33. One day, some people came to Jesus. John the Baptist's disciples fast and pray regularly. And so do the disciples of the Pharisees. Why are your disciples always eating and drinking? They were looking at John, John the the Baptist, uh, his disciples were always, uh, they were always in an act of repentance, always in an act of defeating their flesh. uh, And and so they were were regularly fasting and praying before the Lord. The disciples of the Pharisees, the Pharisees were the keepers of the law and, and they they held people to the very fine pieces of the law. And so they would do things for show. So the Pharisees, uh, on the other hand, while while John the Baptist's disciples couldn't seem to get beyond the the point of uh, forgiveness of sins and, and repentance of sins, the Pharisees were all about the show of fasting. But one way or another, these people come to Jesus and they say, Jesus, why is it that all these disciples that we see, they're always fasting and praying, and we look at your disciples, and they're always eating, they're always feasting, and Jesus makes this statement to them. Do wedding guests fast while celebrating with the groom? Can you imagine that? Like, you invite everybody to your weddings, it's going to be a great time, and you get there, and, and, and everybody shows up at the reception, and, and there's no cake. Or maybe they just put a cake there, but it's like plastic, just to torture you, you know. And there's no food, there's no, (laughs) there's no, there's nothing. We're, we're, you came to the wedding. It's supposed to be a wedding feast, right? And there's nothing. What would you quit toying with me? You could have brought some like chips and, I mean, some crackers and cheese at the least, right? No, you're fasting. Jesus says no. People don't do this. They go to a feast. They go to a wedding and they feast and they have cake and they have, especially in Jesus, it was huge parties that would go on for hours and hours and hours. And uh, they would have these massive feasts. And Jesus says, you don't go to the wedding while the groom is there and fast. No, when the groom is there, you feast. The groom is Jesus, right? So Jesus is saying, he's saying, of course you don't do that. Verse 35. But someday the groom will be taken away from them, and then they'll fast. Have you ever been to a party or maybe a Thanksgiving where you said, "I think I'm going to go on a diet now"? <laughs> y'all, y'all need Jesus. Y'all need. I've been gone too long. Y'all need Jesus this morning. That's what Jesus is saying. He said, look, understand there is a time for feasting and there is a time for fasting. And as as believers, we have to know the difference. Jesus was specifically saying, I'm only with you for a little time here. You shouldn't spend your time fasting and praying. You should spend your time with me because the one you're fasting and praying to get close to is here with you already. Amen. Are you tracking with me? I, I read an I read an article this week uh, uh, I subscribed to a number of things and uh, this, for, for pastors and preachers and people developing sermons. And, and this one guy wrote this article, and it was called The Art of Feasting. And I thought, man, this is good stuff right here. I was getting ready for Thanksgiving meal. Now, I don't know how your Thanksgiving meal went, uh, but my family way prepared on food. Like... Uh, Let me just say this. My mother is an amazing cook, right? An amazing cook, and I, and I'll tell you a, a second piece about her her cooking here in just a second. Um, you're flashing a green thing at me, and I don't know what it meant, guys. I don't know. Y'all flashed a green one at me. Is something? No, for cancel that. Okay, sorry, <laughs> I didn't know. One minute, like you got one minute till. <laughs> I don't. I not know. Um, What was I saying? Oh, my mom. My mom's an amazing cook, but my mom can't cook for like four. Her recipes only work for like 40. No, I'm not kidding. If you've ever been to my mom's house and she's cooked, there's like always too much food. It doesn't matter how many people are coming. My dad said the other day she cooked him some some gumbo or chili or something. And he walks in and she's cooking gumbo and he's like, Oh, excellent. I'm going to have some gumbo tonight. And the pot was this big there's two of them. And he said, Renee, what are you going to do with all that gumbo? She goes, I don't know. I'm going to freeze it and go take it to people. That's my mom. So if you can imagine this on an even grander scale, when 40 people do come, she doesn't like keep the same amount of food. (laughs) It multiplies again. So she cooks for like 400. So I... (laughs) I, I believe in, uh, which, which brand of the, of the military is it that says no man left behind? I can't remember which one it is, but that's the approach I took to Thanksgiving this year. Uh, n- n- no pies and no ham left behind. No, no cornbread bread casserole left behind. And so my goal was, I, I went through and I ate and everyone ate and there was still so much food and I felt so bad for the food. It had been cooked and it had been prepared for that moment, so I went again. And, and after I went again, then I, I saw the dessert table and I felt like I needed to balance out my meal and I didn't want any pies left behind. So I went for that again. And, and this was kind of a revolving thing throughout the day. I would like to tell you that I succeeded in my mission, but I did not. <laughs> I did almost pass out from eating too much food. But I read this article and, and I thought it was going to give me some tips for how to eat more food on Thanksgiving and he didn't. Um, and, I, and I read it and he actually, uh, the, the article wasn't that great. Um, but the moment I read the article, God spoke to me and he, and he told me to tell you something. So I'm going to preach a little bit kind of a different kind of message today. So I'm going to ask you to just bear with me for a minute, if you will. Um, but this is what God told me to tell you. He said, "Randon, go tell the people of triumph that the month of December is a time of feasting. And I said, okay, God. Well, I went on and read the article, thought, well, maybe that article is going to say something to me, and it really didn't, but I heard so clearly. So yesterday when I was preparing this sermon, I tried to go another way, and God wouldn't let me go another way, and I said, but Lord, there's not a lot of sermon, and it's time for feasting. He said, "Randon, you go tell the people, it's time for feasting, and I'll take care of the rest. There are many sermons that I preach to you, as you know, that are I'm uh, very teaching, uh, very practical, very much application. But today, I need you to allow me to utilize a different gifting of mine, Um uh, the, the fivefold gifts that, that Paul writes to us about in Ephesians are, are apostles, prophets, pastors, teachers, and evangelists. You often hear me in my pastoral anointing. You often hear me in my pastoral mantle preach to you. But today, will you allow me to slide over for just a moment and speak and declare the word of God over your life? Because I think some things need to shift, and God wants to do some wonderful things for us. Okay. <laughs> Jesus said there are there are times for fasting. And there are times for feasting. Um, fasting is a very spiritual thing. That's why the Pharisees were doing it. They would fast to prove how spiritual they were. They were fasting to prove um, how good they were at religion. They were fasting to prove things. Now, when we fast, we shouldn't fast. As a matter of fact, Jesus didn't say, Jesus said, don't fast and then go to work and complain all day about how much you've been fasting and announce it to the world. He said, instead, go to work and don't say a word about it. Just let your life speak for itself. But the Pharisees didn't do that. They have fasted, and they would announce it to the whole world. Fasting is a very good thing. We will kick off the year in January with 21 days of prayer and fasting. We do this every year. It's a very important piece, uh, part of what we do to lay the foundation for our year. I believe in fasting. But the truth of the matter is, there are more scriptures in the Bible that talk about feasting than they do about fasting. You see, feasting is also a very spiritual thing. Feasting was so important that while Jesus, uh, while, the, while the Old Testament had very little scriptures that commanded fasting, it has dozens and dozens and dozens of scriptures that command us to feast. I'll talk to you about the seven major feasts uh, in a few moments. But we, he didn't want us just to feast in those times, although there were. In Leviticus chapter 23, where I just read to you, he's about to give you the seven feasts. But also he said, there are occasions in your life. Weddings uh, and, and birthdays and uh, uh, harvest times when you should feast and, and it is a good thing to feast. Why? Because, because God knows some things. He, he knows that in life there are highs and there are lows. There are yeses and there are noes. You see, fasting is all about saying no to the flesh and yes to God, right? It's a good thing. We should, because the flesh and his desires get strong within us. And if we're not careful, they will get stronger than the spirit within us and we'll end up living according to our flesh. Fasting is a very good thing, but fasting is about saying no. Feasting, on the other hand, is about saying yes. Feasting is about saying yes to the goodness of God and enjoying the good things of God. God doesn't want his relationship with you to be all about the no's. Well, God, I want to do this. No, not right now. God, can I do that? No, that's not allowed. Lord, what about this? That's a sin. God, can I go there? No, that's not for you. That's not my plan for you. No, God also wants our relationship with him to be about yeses, to be about enjoyment, to be about happiness and good things. Is that okay? Is it okay that God wants you to enjoy your relationship with him? So he said, Randon, tell Triumph that December is a time of feasting, the month of December. I want to share with you really quickly a couple things about feasting because we, uh, we, we grow, we've grown dull to the wonder of ample food and drink because we seem to live with it every day. We, we eat more than, than any nation has ever eaten in the world on a daily basis. Uh, we, we, we live with, with food at our fingertips. Whereas Jesus or, or the Bible was written to, to, especially the Old Testament, to times when food wasn't always so easily at hand. It, it was a regular thing to have to make your food last or to make your food stretch. You couldn't always just run down to Walmart. You couldn't run down to H-E-B. You couldn't go to a restaurant. Uh, so when, when droughts hit and when difficult times came, you understood, understood scarcity, which also gave you a, a bigger uh, an, an appreciation for feasting in times of, of plenty. First thing I want you to understand about this, first, about feasting is this. Um, feasting honors God by putting Him at the center. Feasting honors God by, by putting Him at the center. I, I want to go back to Leviticus 23, verse 2, and I want to show you again. Uh, he said, these are the appointed feasts of the Lord. Whose feasts are they? Come on now, it's not a quick trick, trick question. Whose feast are they? The Lord's. Uh, and he said, You shall proclaim them as holy convocations. Holy means set apart, different, set apart. Something special is on this time, all right? Uh, specifically, here, it means set apart as unto the Lord. He said, These are whose appointed feast? The Lord's appointed These are my appointed feasts. Understand, um, God has a feast. And he invites guests to be with him. He invites me and he invites you. He invited the people. And when they came, it was a sign of them honoring him. You remember, you remember uh, when Jesus talked about the, the feast in the New Testament? And he talked about how people wouldn't come because they were too busy with this and too busy with that. And too busy with this and too busy with that. And they didn't want to come. Do you remember how when Jesus gave that parable, how angry the master got? Why did he get so angry? He got angry because he was feeling dishonored. The principle of a feast is this to the one throwing the feast. When you come, it honors the one who threw the feast. When a guest shows up, my mom, I told you she only cooks for big groups. Uh, She 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 her recipes they're they're big I don't I don't know I don't know why she can't divide them but she can't they only work in big pots, Um, the other thing about my mom is uh, she doesn't the reason she doesn't cook for small groups because she doesn't enjoy cooking for small groups but if you give her a reason to have a party she will cook all night long she will three o'clock in the morning she'll be cooking you know, half asleep cooking. What are you doing? I'm getting ready for tomorrow. It doesn't take all this. But for her, she gets so much enjoyment out of people coming to her home and inviting them over. She lays out a feast. So when my family takes time out of our lives, drives out of our city, goes to her home, shows up at her house, unloads our suitcases, walks in, sleep in her extra bedroom, and she gets to cook for us. She's doing all the work. All we did was show up. And yet... It honors her. Here's 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 the principle. When we show up to the feast, it honors God. You see, in in feast and especially the seven major feasts, they weren't just, well, go have a feast at your house or go have a feast at your house. But they were actually feasts held at the temple of God. There were a time when people came together, they left their homes, they left their places of business, they left their work, and they came back to the house of God. And God suddenly got to see all of his people together. You see, God intentionally put fasting in as a means of regathering his people. They would get scattered throughout the year. They would get off uh, working their farms and working their livestock and, and working their sheep and everything else. They would get scattered and busy with life. But the feasts were intentional times to bring people back to the house of God. What I saw when God was speaking to me was that in this, in this fall season, we have been busy. We're working extra hours. We're working on our houses. We're helping other people. And, and throughout all of our congregations and all around this region, people are working extremely hard right now. But this is what God was telling me. He said, Brandon, it's time for people to get focused back on the house of God. It's time to come back to the house of God. And I'll tell you what he's going to do when we get here uh, in a few moments. But he said it's time to call the people back to the house of God who've been scattered and working and busy and doing this and doing that. It's time to come back to the house of God. Doesn't mean that anyone was wrong because we were working or because we missed church on a Sunday. That's not the point. The point is this season is about coming back to the house of God. Can I get an amen this morning? Number two, feasting gives us a fresh perspective on what God is doing. Gives us a fresh pre- perspective on what God is doing. I mentioned to you that there were seven major feasts in the Old Testament and in Judaism today. Seven major feasts. Some of these you will be very familiar with. Some of them you will not. The first feast is called Passover. Passover. Um, it's, this is the feast of salvation, if you will. Passover goes back to when the the children of Israel were caught up in slavery and Moses was trying to get Pharaoh to let his people go. Pharaoh wouldn't let them go. So if you remember, the plagues were coming to Egypt. One after the other, after the other, after the other. The tenth plague was God gave instructions to the Israelites to sacrifice a lamb and and eat the lamb and take its blood and put it over their doorposts. He said, now, at night... The angel of death is going to come through, and if he sees the blood on your doorpost, he's going to pass over you, or he's going to skip over your house. But if he doesn't see the blood of the lamb on your doorpost, he's going to take from you. He's gonna, your, your firstborn son and the firstborn son of your livestock will, are going to die instantaneously. So you'll remember in the land of Egypt, this is exactly what happened. So all of the Israelites, they got their lamb. They sacrificed the lamb. They ate the lamb. They put the blood over the doorpost. The angel of death came through. He passed over all of the Israelites. But when he came to the Egyptians, they hadn't done the same thing. And their firstborn sons were gone, including the firstborn son of Pharaoh, which is what caused him to say to Moses, get out. Y'all remember the story? So when they get later on, God says to them, I want you to celebrate this event with a feast. And then they would relive much of the same things that they had done in Egypt. Now, for all of these seven feasts, Christ is the fulfillment of the feast. We know this because we know the life of Christ. We know this because uh, the, the Old Testament teaches us that the Messiah would have to fulfill all of these things which Christ has done. Or is in the process of doing. And so Passover represents our salvation. Remember, Jesus was our Passover lamb. Right. And it is his blood that covers us just like the door of our, our uh, the, the, on the doorpost of the houses of the of the Israelites in Egypt. His blood covers us, but it's not over our doorpost. It's over our hearts. It's over the doorpost of our soul. And now when when the enemy comes through, he cannot come at us because we are saved by the blood of the lamb. Tracking with me, this happens uh, in the spring. The first four happened in the spring. Passover. Remember, this is the very meal that Jesus ate with his disciples. The last meal. The Passover meal. Number two was the Feast of Unleavened Bread. This happens immediately after the Passover. Um, God had said to Moses, tell the people to prepare bread. With no yeast or no leaven in it. Now yeast or leaven in the Bible reflects or it symbolizes sin or evil. So for the next seven days after the Passover, they would go into the feast of the unleavened bread and they were not allowed to eat any yeast for seven days. If you see a piece of unleavened bread that they would eat, you would actually notice that it had stripes in it. It had it had horizontal or vertical stripes running down it. Why is this important? Do you remember at the Passover meal when Jesus said, the, uh, I bless the cup, which is my blood, which is shed for the remissions of sin, for salvation, right? He also took bread, this unleavened bread with stripes going down it and he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is broken for you. Uh, when you eat it, eat it in remembrance of me. Remember the Old Testament that said, by his stripes we are healed. Specifically, the stripes on his body are a reflection of the stripes on the unleavened bread. Are y'all tracking with me today? Um, and so this, this unleavened bread, they, it represented their trek out of slavery in Egypt into freedom in the promised land. The the seven days of the feast of the unleavened bread represents getting rid of the old mindset of slavery. It is uh, what we would call sanctification. It is uh, so we come to Jesus and He saves us, but we still have sin in us. So there the, we then enter into a process of removing the sin of our life and becoming a disciple of Jesus. Everybody with me? Number three, feast of the first fruits. Of the first fruits. So now what would happen is, and these are all happening in just a matter of a week or so, these first three. They would bring in the first grain offering in the spring, uh, specifically uh, at a time that we refer to as Easter. It wasn't referred to as Easter at that time. Uh, the word Easter actually comes from a pagan holiday, but it's all celebrated at the same time. Uh, But they would come in and the the priest would grab some of the grain and and they would hold it up and they would have a wave offering before the Lord because this grain was the first fruit of much more harvest to come. You say, well, Pastor Endon, what does that have to do with? Well, it has to do with they recognize their dependence upon God. That it was God that brought them the first fruits and it will be God that delivers them the rest of the harvest. Why? Because as hard as a farmer tries, he cannot force grain to grow. He cannot make it rain and he cannot make the seed grow. Only God can do that. Remember Paul Paul said, I uh, planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. This is a principle that goes all the way back to the Old Testament. And so when they came together for this feast, it was a recognition that God is going to cause our harvest to come to pass. Well, how is it that Jesus is the fulfillment of that? Because this this was celebrated on what we know as Easter, the day that Jesus was raised from the grave. Watch what Paul wrote in, in 1 Corinthians I don't know where I'm at on my notes, guys, uh, so hang with me for a second. Um, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 23. But there is an order to this re- resurrection. There's an order. Christ was raised as the first, or if you're reading in the New King James, the first fruit of the harvest. Then all who belong to Christ will be raised when he comes back. How did Christ fulfill this? Christ fulfilled this because he was first raised from the dead. He was first resurrected and ascended into heaven. And then secondly, all the rest of us who live and die in Christ will one day be raised from the grave and ascended into the heavens. Y'all okay? I know we're getting real deep today. It's going to be all right. Number four. Number four. The fourth one was 50 days later. Uh, after Easter, 50 days later, it was called the Feast of Weeks, or you might know it as Pentecost. We celebrate Pentecost Sunday, 50 days later, or seven Sabbaths plus one. Um, Pentecost was given when the Israelites had now, they had left Egypt, they had gone, they had crossed the Red Sea, they had uh, fought through the desert and they got to the base of Mount Sinai. It is Mount, at Mount Sinai that Moses goes up and he receives the law of God, the law for the Israelites, and he brings it back down to them and he gives it to them. They, it, it is said that this is the birthplace of the nation of Israel. Uh, it is the birthplace of Judaism. Why? Because they had been just a group of slaves started as a family. They had evolved through, through here, history into a group of slaves. But now for the first time, they were a people, they were a nation because there is no nation without laws. All right. And so it's the birthplace of Judaism. It is also the birthplace of the church because on the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit is poured out on his people And 3,000 people are added to the church, and and the church takes off that day. You'll remember the story in Acts chapter 1 and Acts chapter 2. In Acts chapter 3, Peter begins to preach, 3,000 people are out of the church. That all happens on the day of Pentecost. You see, Pentecost has been fulfilled in that the Holy Spirit has been poured out on us. Well, what does the Holy Spirit have to do with the law? It has, to, it has this to do with it. The Holy Spirit uh, no longer does God write his law on tablets of stone, but he writes it on the hearts of men through the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is God's law inside of us, leading us and guiding us and teaching us and helping us. So it's not external any longer, but it's internal. Are y'all tracking with me? I know I'm boring you, but just hang with me for a second. We're going somewhere. These four happened all in the spring. Then we fast forward to the fall. The fifth one is called the Feast of Trumpets. The Feast of Trumpets, Trumpets literally happened when they would go out into the fields at the end of the harvest and they would blast the trumpet or the trumpets of God. And it was an announcement that the time of harvest, the time of working, the time of laboring had come to an end. So it was time to bring all the harvest in, end that season, and have a big feast. This is fulfilled not in the first coming of Jesus when He came and He died on a cross and He rose from the grave, but this will actually be fulfilled in our future when Jesus returns again. The Bible teaches teaches us in the book of uh, 1 Thessalonians, Uh, chapter 4, verse 16. He he says this, For the Lord Himself will come down from the heaven with a commanding shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet call of God. First, the Christians who have died will rise from their graves, and He keeps on going from there. Here's the point. This is at the second coming of Christ that Paul is pointing to, and he says we're going to know it because a trumpet call of God is going to blast feast of the trumpets will be fulfilled on that day. So the first four pointed to things that Jesus has already done. The fifth one points to what Jesus is going to do that he hasn't yet done. Number six. Number six is the Day of Atonement. Day of Atonement is the day once a year when the priests would go in and they would give an offering to God to, to roll back or push back all of the sins of Israel for that year. So one day a year, they would go in and they'd bring an offering to God. And uh, number seven, again, I'm sorry, again, um, this was 10 days after the trumpet. It was a day of confession, Has, has to do with what's going to happen in the second coming of Messiah. I'm trying not to get too deep into eschatology this morning. I want to show you a principle here. Number seven, Feast of the Tabernacles. This is five days after the atonement. Uh, God was celebrating that he had provided shelter for the Israelites while in the wilderness. And he had built shel- they built shelters outside their homes in little tents. And they would stay there uh, during this celebration and they would worship God in them. This signifies a future time when Christ will one day come and rule and reign on this earth. And we will all tabernacle or dwell within Christ. Now, big picture here. And I'm sorry I got called caught up too deep in all that. Here's what I want to show you. The Feast of God did two things simultaneously. First of all, they remembered what God had already done for them. Feasting is important because it helps us to remember what God has done for us. We stop and we take a moment and we look around and we say, you know what? Sometimes in life, it feels like God has not been near me and I've wondered where he was. But if I could step back a moment and look at the entire context of my life, I could see that God has been involved. But when we're in it and you're in the middle of troubles and you're in the middle of worries, you can look around and wonder, where has God been? And this will always, not always, but it can cause you to question whether or not God has ever been involved. And so every decision you've made then comes into question. But God says during times of feasting, if you will step back and you'll see the big picture, if you'll change from your perspective to my perspective, you will see that I've been involved all along. Because the other piece of it is, he doesn't just remind us of what he's done, he reminds us of what he's going to do. The first four are what Jesus already did for us, the second three are what he is yet to do for us. So here we are caught in the middle. We're stuck in the middle, but God says, I want you to have times of feasting because I want you to know I have a plan. Life is made up of mountains and valleys. It's not made up of just one mountain. You weren't made to conquer one mountain in your life. You were made to conquer many mountains. But if you're going to conquer many mountains, you have to be willing to go through the valley to get there. Here's the point. If we get stuck in the valley... The enemy can start working on our minds convincing us that there are no more mountains in our future there are no more good times in our future there are no more good plans in our future that god has done with us if he was ever using us and god said back up just a second back back away just for a second and see things from my perspective and if you could you could see the mountains that you've already conquered and you can see the mountains in your future you wouldn't get stuck in the valley but you would know good things are yet ahead Good things are yet ahead. So so feasting is about changing our perspective and seeing it from God's view. Elbow your neighbor a little bit and say, you need to see it from God's view. That was very weak. That was not very convincing. So I want you to look right back at the person who just looked at you and you say, no, you need to see it from God's view with a little attitude, please. Feasting, and this is number three, and they're they're connected. Feasting reminds us to enjoy God's goodness. We can get so caught up in the struggle that we forget the goodness of God. It makes me wonder if this is part of what the psalmist was thinking when he looked up and realized, surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of his life. Makes me wonder if he spent his so day, all of his days so busy in the toil that he forgot to sit back and realize the goodness of God. So when he looked back on his life, he said, yeah, there was the goodness of God. But in the middle of it, he was like, I don't see it. I want, uh, feasting is a moment to stop. And let the goodness of God catch up to you and say, God, I receive your goodness. You see, you see times of feasting uh, in the presence of God, they're about joy and they're about laughter. They're about abundance and they're about celebration. They're about reconnecting and renewing, reconnecting and renewing our relationships with people, with God and with the house of God. R- times of feasting were times of fulfillment of, and of hope, promises of a hope and a future We we can't just get caught up in the struggle, but we ought to stop and take a moment to feast. We do it as a nation. That's what we do in Thanksgiving. We stop and we give thanks. It's not something that America invented. It was a principle that God began thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of years ago. Stop. Stop. And enjoy His goodness. And here's the thing about a feast, and I hope you felt this way on Thanksgiving. If you didn't, um, well, I'm sorry. When you enjoy the goodness of God in in a feast that He invited you to, it's guilt free. It's guilt free. You ever been on a diet? I don't even know why that was funny. Have you ever been on a diet? That was that was not a, a question. That was just a question, not an implication or anything. Been on a diet, and you go to a birthday party, and you, you, you end up having the little piece of cake, and you feel so guilty, right? You know what? That's what the enemy wants to do to you in your life. When other people around you are struggling, when, when you don't seem to have enough, but all of a sudden you find joy, you find happiness, you find fullness of joy in the presence of God, you leave here and he wants you to feel guilty because you're not down like everybody else is down. Your marriage is better. Your relationship with your kids is better. And then he wants you to feel shame and guilt because you're this way, but you shouldn't. Everybody else is down. You should be down. No, 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 no. When you're feasting with God, there's no guilt, there's no shame. We just say to the devil, keep all your calories. We not use that. Right? And the last one is this, and I'm closing now. If my team will help me. Feasting is an opportunity to invite Jesus in. Well, what do you mean, Pastor Randon? Here's what Jesus said in Revelation chapter 3, verse 20. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. What is he saying? I want to feast with you. And I'm knocking. Knock, knock, knock. But you have to hear me and open the door. If you don't hear me and open the door, I guess I'll just go to the next house and knock and knock and knock. God said, "Randon, December is a time of feasting. It's a time of drawing closer to God. It's a time to let Jesus in, to let him into our lives, to let him into our homes, to let him into our church, to let him into everything that we do. It's not that we don't love him. It wasn't that the people of Israel didn't love God or that they were far away from God. But life has a way of getting you busy. And busyness can pull us away from our relationship with God. So God intentionally put in times of feasting to renew relationship. Will you let Jesus in? I'm going to begin a series next week. It's called God with us. One of the names of Jesus was Emmanuel, God with us, because I I believe that the same God who created the heavens and the earth, who sent his son, Jesus, who sent us the Holy Spirit, who's done miracle after miracle throughout the context of this scripture and our lives for generations after generation, he has marked this month on the calendar. And he said, I want to come be with you in luke chapter 5 there are times of fasting and there are times of feasting the question is do you understand the moment jesus said understand the moment i'm here right now come be with me don't go fast i don't know if you've ever been around someone who has been fasting for a long time if they're not careful they get mean no one wants to be around them but in times of feasting everyone's happy Everyone wants to be around each other. Jesus says, I'm here. Let's feast. Let's be around each other. Jesus is here. He's he's knocking and He's wanting to be with you. He's he's wanting to renew relationship with you. He's wanting to help you renew relationships in your life. He's wanting to bring joy and laughter, abundance and celebration. He's wanting you to reconnect. He's wanting to, to fulfill His promises to you. And He's wanting to give you hope. In this time... I believe that we are going to find God when we may not have found him before. I believe that we're going to realize more of his presence than maybe we have before. You see, the presence of God is here every week, every Sunday. But there are times when, when my father used to say that the presence of God is thicker, meaning it's more um, it's more realized. It's more, you, you, you just knew it was here more. Uh, it, it's like w- when you walk in and, 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 and maybe your wife is kitchen, cooking in the kitchen or your husband is cooking in the kitchen and they threw something on the burner and there was a, just a little bit of smoke and you could, feel, you could smell a, a faint hint of smoke. And then there are other times when they're cooking bacon and you can smell it throughout the entire house and you know exactly what is going on. Well, it's, it's a thicker smell. It's a thicker smoke, right? There are times in the presence of God when his presence is not just, well, I think I felt God, but it's, there's no doubt that God was here. When you look around and, and, and you say, my God, he is I want to thank our worship team who is uh, doing such an amazing job every week. I'm so proud of this team. I want to speak over to your lives and over this church, over this, this house, that worshiping is about to get easier because the presence of God is going to get thicker in the room. So I want you to be ready. I want you to come and feast jesus is knocking on the door of triumph and saying will you let me in and i'm here to say yes god we will let you in the question is what is your good response going to be I want to speak to the people of triumph that are here and those that are watching online, those that may hear this word later, that a time of feast was a time when God would call His people back to the house of God. And I know that at times we get scattered and we get busy and life uh, gets us separated from His house and we look up and it's been one week we're gone and two weeks and three weeks. And, and, And it isn't that you don't love God. It isn't that we don't love you. It isn't that we're angry at you, that God is angry with you. He is not. But it is a time right now where we are called calling the people of Triumph back home. If you're a person and you're a believer at Triumph, or even if you're not and you're looking for a church home, would you hear my voice today and say, it's time to get back to the house of God, for He's waiting here to meet with you. He's going to give you hope. He's going to give you inspiration. He's going to give you help. He's going to come and He's going to bring miracles into your life. He's going to wait, and, and the joy that you have been looking for will be found in the presence of God. But it's time to come home. We will see you here next next Sunday. Clap your hands and rejoice in the Lord this morning. I want to pray over you this morning, and then, and then our host is coming, but I just want to declare over all of us in this room, in this house, Father, we believe that this is a time of feasting. It's a time when we're going to see what you are doing in our lives. We're going to see our future. Father, I pray that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear, that you would speak clearly for those that are looking and searching and seeking for answers for our future. God, I pray that you would speak to us. Lord, I am declaring right now that worship is going to become easier, that your presence is growing thicker. Even now I can feel you in this place, oh God. We invite you in. We say, Lord, we are here for you to feast with you, to dine with you. Now renew and reconnect us and give us joy and give us hope and give us more of your presence, Lord God. We receive you now in the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.